So this is, this is a big excitement for me, getting to come and preach. And so I was standing there. Uh, it kind of hit me when Corey was, you know, introduced and saying I was going to preach. I, I get to come to you with a different title than pastor today. And I mean, you're, once you're a pastor, you're, you're always in there. You know, you kind of, that sticks. But I get to come with you with a very different approach this morning, coming as a missionary through Calvary. And that's, that's exciting for me to get to do that. I need to give you all a heads up. This morning is not going to look like most mornings. I'm going to preach, in theory, for 20 minutes. And then we're going to have a time where we're going to have a song like we normally do. Then we're going to shut the cameras off because some things I have to say can't really go out uh, to the general world as it is. And so for those that are out there listening, I know I have family in South Carolina. Um, Thank you for listening. I know we have family in Maine that are listening this morning. You get the sermon, which means you get the express 20-minute version, which for a Baptist, that is nailing it. We'll see if I can do it. But then we will be shutting off as I give an update to the church. So let's pray, and then we got to hit the ground running. Lord, thank you so much that I get to come this morning and get to share the Word of God. Lord, the words that have shaped my very life, changed every path I've ever been on, and directed me to the foot of the cross. Lord, open up our hearts this morning as we go through two verses and that we may be broken as these verses apply to each and every one of us in here. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in the book of James. If you've got a pew Bible, that's page 1,199. So, book of James. I've actually never preached out of it before. I love the book of James. It's, it's been viewed over the years as a book that's almost equivalent to a book of Proverbs. If you read through James, you start to read this wisdom language, this very Ecclesiastes-type speech that he uses. But James is unique in that James isn't a book to a church, right? It's a book to the general Christian. And so before we get in, we got to understand the wisdom that's going to be spoken through James, the fact that it's not written to a church, that it's written to everybody. And for those of you that might have a little bit of Catholic upbringing, this is James the Just. Do y'all know why he's called James the Just? Yes, you do. Because he's just, there it is. Like it's never, never blow past the obvious. He's just a just guy. So this is the brother of Jesus. And this is unique that James wrote this book. Because if you've read it, you realize the love he has for Christ, the submission he has for Christ. What's unique about that is you have to remember, James didn't believe he was the Christ until after he was dead. Do we remember that? That's an important note. And if you go into Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, I'll read it to you. Then he went home, and this is Jesus, and a crowd gathered around him so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. This is James, the same man. I mean, this is his whole family. Not just a brother thinks you're crazy. They all think he's crazy. This is the same man that's going to help run, lead, and disciple the church in Jerusalem. James never leaves Jerusalem that we know of. And that's a beautiful ministry because like, that's the greater church here, right? Most of you were probably born and raised here and you're probably not gonna leave. And that's a great thing. This is what James did. He took what Christ had given him and he helped get that out into the community. 
This book was written around 69 AD. We know because this is pre the Roman hostile takeover. Romans are already there. It's going to get much nastier in the future. And he alludes to coming destruction that's not yet happened. And finally, we're going to talk about how James died, because I think that's always important. So the Bible doesn't tell us, but Eusebius, he records it in his book of history that he was at the temple. So he was at the church, and he was preaching, and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people were crying out, how may we be saved, to a point where he had to go up to the high pinnacle of the building so he can speak out over the crowd. As he's speaking out over the crowd, many are giving their life to Christ, and the religious Pharisees come up, they push him off, and at the bottom, he's beaten to death with clubs and stoned. So, heads up. That's James's life. Rejected Jesus his whole life. Finds Jesus after he dies. Falls, pushed off the pinnacle of the, of the temple. Beaten to death. Writes an amazing book. So, let's jump in. I know I'm going fast. That's because I've got an hour's worth of stuff to say quickly. So, verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. I want us to focus on two verses today. And the point that we're going to with this is make known your temptation and prepare confession for your deliverance. That isn't exactly a comfortable title, right? If we're being real, we don't really enjoy talking about desire, temptations, and what is truly at the heart of all mankind. It's not a fun topic for us, which is why we're talking about it. So, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That's a lot. I'm sure y'all have read this before because, again, <clears throat> James reads very proverb style. So there's like little baby chunks where he'll completely not really shift topics, but it'll go from he's talking about this to something like, okay, that's, that's close. And this is a little chunk in there. And as James writes this, well, you're going to notice in verse 14, it starts off with a but. But means we got to go back. But we're not going to go back yet. We'll do the but back later. So as we do the but back later, let's look at what it says now. Each person is tempted. Do you know who each person is? Every single man, woman, and child that has ever lived on the face of the planet. This is important to note because it is very easy to read your Bible and go, yes, some of those guys are tempted. Yeah, that neighbor down the road from me, he's always tempted. This is all of us. And I think it's important to point that out because how does it feel for me to tell you I know you're a victim of temptation? Ouch. Ouch. It feels personal, right? Here's the good news. We're all tempted, right here, right here. Everyone is a victim of this. And it's important to note that does not make you a bad Christian. Now, it's going to produce sin, right? But the mere fact you're tempted, everyone is tempted. And I'm afraid we get in our minds that only the not-so-good Christians are the tempted ones. Only the ones that don't read their Bible every day do the year-long reading program tithe twice as much as they could have, and take communion at least once a month. Only those that don't do that are the ones that are tempted. Not according to James. According to James, and it reads clearly, but each person is 
tempted. So the first thing we got to do is you got to acknowledge in your heart you're a victim of temptation. If you can't do that, the rest of this sermon is going to mean nothing to you, and I'd just go get a milkshake or something. But we have to accept that because the way we grow and become closer and better to Christ is accepting where we are weak and he is strong. So we are all victims of temptation. This is where it starts to get really uncomfortable. It says each person is tempted when he is what? Lured. Anybody fishing here? That's a disappointing amount of hands. Come on, man. We've, some, there we go. I Put them hands up, guys. I'm going to tell on you. And ladies, too. Like, uh, so you know how to, what it is to lure a fish. Hunters, what will you put near you to try to bring in a deer? I heard decoy. The right word was deer pee, right? Like you will literally put, there is no other world you put urine near you, right? You don't stand in the men's bathroom going, I know another guy's going to come in here. It's a pile of pee right there not how it works. But to lure something, that's an important word, right? We lure. And it says, but each person is tempted. He is lured, meaning he is drawn away. Something has caught the attention and they're being drawn away from whatever they were doing. And then this is the kick. When or and enticed by his own desire. Man, that that just hurts to even say it out loud. Not only am I tempted, not only am I lured, so I'm foolishly falling for the bait that's been set, but I'm enticed to the luring by my own desire, which means I've taken the bait. I don't know if you can really relate to what that means. Again, I put everything in kind of a hunting and fishing world and when I'm, I have a topwater fishing lure out there and I'm working it and that fish comes up and hits it, I lured him and he took the bait. He's hooked. I hope he's captured, right? They shake off, but I don't like that. You hope that he's captured. So to give recap, I like to recap a lot and quickly because this is so important. We are tempted, we are lured, and it's because of our own desire Now, we need to break down that desire part because there's something that's uncomfortably absent there, okay? Who is luring us to our desires? It's right there in the text. We are. There's a he in there and a his in there. And in a world where these are difficult words anymore, unfortunately, he and his means you and yours, okay? This is not Satan, right? Now, we know that Satan is in the backdrop of all evil, right? We know that. Like, we can firmly establish that. But you know how you get the little picture of the cartoon devil on your shoulder telling you what to do and the angels over here battling? Yeah, this isn't it. This is your temptation and the object of your desire, meaning whatever you've got hidden away in your heart and in your mind. That doesn't mean that Demons. I'm not going to say Satan. Satan's not omnipresent. He's in one place at the time, and I just, I'm not buying that it's Virginia. Maybe Northern Virginia, but not down here. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, I don't think he's down here. Maybe Richmond. I, don't, I feel like he passes between the two. But anyway, I doubt he stopped over at your house. But demons, on the other hand, of course, sway us, but it's important for ownership, right? I tell my kids a hundred times a day sometimes, I just need ownership. I almost don't care what you did if you'll admit that you did it. 
If you can admit what you did, you can grow from it. If you can't admit what you did, you and I are going to have a very long day together, and neither one of us are going to have fun. So it's important that we take this ownership, that it is our temptation and our desire. And the reason why we have to note that it is not Satan at play in this, but our own desires, is found in verse 13. We go back to the but. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. If you read this entire book, that one verse will stick out to you as very odd. Even though the temptation kind of goes into verse 14 and 15, the way it reads is just kind of out of the blue. Why are we talking about God and temptation? It just, it doesn't flow well. And I think James is writing this from a point of just very practical what it is to be human, right? Well, I don't want to, it's not my fault, and if it's not Satan's fault, it must be God's fault. I mean, right? I mean, how many people have you met that they're quick to blame God for all a manner of things that likely had everything to do with themselves? You know, unfortunately, that's kind of the default of, I can't tell you how many people, well, how can God be real if all this evil exists? I'm like, well, if God's real, Satan's real. So why don't we start on the evil end and work our way to the good end instead of starting on the good end and try to infect it with evil? That's not how it works. And so I believe our natural human instinct is, well, it's not me. It must be Satan. Well, not Satan. Well, it's got to be God. He did this. So it's not God. It's you. This is ownership morning, guys and gals. It is all about us owning who and what we are through who and what Christ has done for us. And so we've established it is not God that brought us into temptation, according to James. We have established that our temptation is through us, and we are lured, and it's by our own desire. And then we move into verse 15, and this is a beautiful bit of poetic language. Just watch how this reads. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I put in a lot more commas than your Bible probably has in it. I put that there because doesn't that read almost like a marriage covenant? Right? Did you see the flow of it? Then desire, when it conceives just like you know, the marriage bed and having children, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is grown, brings forth death. And I think that is absolutely beautiful how James wrote that because it shows a willingness of coming together. I'm going to go out on a limb and bet that none of you got married because you had to. There's probably at least an amount of you that got married because you wanted to, right? I just saw a couple that's about to get married do a really cute hug. <laughs> they don't know yet. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, we're not in a culture where you're like forced to get married, right? You probably didn't do it to inherit your wife's farm. I hope not. Like, I say that, that's a very Middle Eastern thought. That's a lot of what uh, James would have been dealing with, but that's not the subject here. The interesting note is how this is read in that term of coming together willfully. Okay, And so when we see the desire, the desire is the thing at play here. That is what is on the mind. And desire is bred out of this temptation. So 
it's going to bring forth sin, which brings death. So let's ask the easiest Christian question out there. What is sin? If you don't know, read the New Testament. It will tell you all of them, okay? It's there clearly. Let's go with some of the ones Jesus pointed out. I just grabbed some of these out of Mark chapter 7. I grabbed a few more out of other uh, epistles. So I'm just going to grab the ones we can digest, okay? Sexual immorality. I'm not going to explain it. You can figure it out. And if you can't, come see me later, and I'll, I'll be explicit when I don't have a microphone. Idolatry, setting up an idol, meaning something is worth more than God, okay? We're not talking about a pagan statue that was carved 5,000 years ago out of rock that they decided was a god. Nope. It could be a baseball team. It could be food. It can be, you name it. It can be a car. It can, you know, use your imagination. It's whatever comes before God, So you wake up, and you're like, I would read my Bible today, but I need that coffee first. Might be an idol. Not saying it is. I do that. Hope that's not an idol, because I do read my Bible. But my point is, what do you place above God? That is what an idol is. Jealousy. You ever been jealous? If you haven't been, go find a nice Chevrolet truck out in the parking lot that's not yours. Then you'll be jealous. And if you're not, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's me. That's what I would be jealous for, right? Um, how about fits of anger? Anybody bold enough to admit they got mad before church this morning? I didn't think so. So they did, though. Someone in here, two people in here argued on the way to church, and it was not me. So I'm just saying, practically speaking, this probably happened Husband's running real late. He couldn't get himself together in the mirror, and wife gets mad and fusses at him. Opposite day. So, yeah, you caught that. Divisions. Oh, how little it takes to be divided with my brother. Yoked in Christ, divided in spirit. I love you, but I'm going to go tell five other people what I dislike about you the most. That's a sin. Arguably, that is the great sin of the Western church, is divisions. And then envy. You can work your way through envy. Sin is what separates you and God by your own willful desires. Yes, you are bred into it. Yes, it exists. But you willfully partake in it. So what I'm asking you today isn't, well, are you a sinner? I know you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm asking you what's locked away in your heart that even your spouse doesn't know is a sin. I'm asking you what's tucked away neatly that you don't even believe God can see. There's a book, The Picture of Dorian Gray. It's a fantastic book written by Oscar Wilde. And uh, Oscar Wilde, as a God-hating hedonist, understood Christ better than I believe most Christians did. And he wrote this fiction book, and the, this, this, it's a fairly short book, but the idea is there's this young, vain man, good-looking guy, right? And everyone's always telling him, you're rich, you're young, look at you. You should be more full of yourself. And he becomes full of himself. And his friend tells him, you're so good-looking, you're so fun to be around. All of England desires you, or Ireland, wherever they're at, I can't remember, I think it's England. He's like, I want to paint a portrait of you. And as he's painting the portrait of Dorian, Dorian wishes that he would never age, that he would look the way he does in that picture, that he would look that way his, old, his whole life, and he wishes that he could give up his very soul for that to happen. And in the book, that happens. He gives up his soul, 
and all the sin goes into that picture and is not shown on him. And as he starts to get older, he notices how hideous and grotesque this picture is. So he takes it upstairs and he locks it away. And I'm going to read a quote out of that book for you. This is Dorian speaking, and this is of his own sin. No one could see it. He himself could not see it. Why should he watch the hideous corruption of his soul? He kept his youth. That was enough. And besides, might not his nature grow finer after all? There was no reason that the future should be so full of shame. Some love might come across his life and purify him and shield him from all the sins that seemed to be already stirring in spirit and in flesh. Those curious, unpictured sins whose very mystery lent them their subtlety and their charm. It's an unsaved man wrote that. I'm getting ready to wrap up. I'm asking you, what sin do you have locked away? Dorian was the only one that owned the key to the attic that that picture was locked in. It was hidden away. In each of our hearts, we have hidden away a sin. All of us. To deny it may mean you've never confronted it. But to confront it, to confess it before a holy God, is to deal with it and lay it at the cross. I am not asking you to confess to me. James does say in chapter 5, confess to your brothers and sisters. I am asking you if you would be bold this morning to make confession of that dark hatred that you don't want to admit is there. Maybe you do that to your spouse. Maybe you do it internally. Maybe as we prepare to sing this last song, you come up this morning and you pray, God, take this from me. Because let me tell you what happens if you come up here. If you come up here, people will go. They're attempted. They've been tempted. There's something in their heart that's not right. Someone will think that. Here's the good news. That person that's thinking that has the exact same problem. They just didn't come up and pray. I'm asking church this morning. We got to be real, right? Life's getting hard. The world is tearing itself to pieces. Wars are everywhere. People are dying every day by tens of thousands, millions in some places. And if we as the church cannot confess our brokenness to a God who's promised to forgive and redeem us, then what good are we in this world? You are captive by your own sin. And I ask you this morning, church, to break the chains of sin, to break the lie of temptation, because you will be forgiven, but you must confront that dark spot that you fear. You get that knot right there to even think in your head that it's there. We all have it. I know this is heavy. This is heavy on me. This is heavy on you.